As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by my main man, Ari Wasman. Ari, it's getting closer. We are we're recording this on Wednesday morning, and this time next week I'll be landing in Minneapolis for Ohio State's season opener against Minnesota. You going to go up to Bemidji and check it out? You know, when I was, uh, when I was in college, I had the opportunity uh, to go up to, um, I forget the town exactly, I think like up near where Bemidji State is and like spend the week with like the Native American tribes who live up there. Um, it was like a cultural immersion kind of program. And then I checked it out at the last second. I was scared because I was a little baby who was afraid to leave home. I regret it. That really would have been a cool experience. It would You're have. an idiot. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I also had the opportunity to study abroad in Ghana and, and kind of chickened out on that too. Well, a little bit farther trip, but <laughs> studying abroad is supposed to be like in Paris, where yeah. you're about to go to bars and get hammered. Yeah, I'm sure they <laughs> get really hammered. Look at they get hammered. In yeah, Ghana. I don't know anything about Ghana, uh, but it's uh, just like I've never heard anybody like say. If you've been to Ghana, uh, let us know if they get hammered there. Yeah, <laughs> we're off to a raging start this week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, have you seen the show Fargo? No, it's on my list. It's one of the greatest shows of all time, and there's a lot of Bemidji in it. So you should go check it out, I will. and I think you'll enjoy it. I'm watching White Lotus right now. Maybe I'll, I'll do uh, I'll do Fargo after that. 
one of my favorite shows of the year, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm very much enjoy. I very much enjoyed it. It's uh, where you know where they we're, we're, we'll we'll talk about football. I swear we'll talk about football. Uh, where they uh, are filming that is next to the Marriott, where Brian Windhorst said is the greatest. Yes, the greatest. Uh, yes, it's in Hawaii. Bang yeah, for your it's buck. the Four Seasons, isn't it? They're at the Four Seasons, and the Marriott YLA is right next to it. Yeah, because we stayed there like three years ago, and like they, they you share, stayed at the Marriott. Yeah, they but they all share did the you, same beach. Did you agree? With Brian about it being one of the best bangs for the bucks ever. Yeah, if you're using points, like I could never afford the sailor on my own boat. I had it banked up points, and if you use your points, it's reasonable, and it's really it's the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in. Yeah, it's great. Highly recommend. And it. that's four to six with A and B. And thank you for listening to four to six with A and B. Okay. Well, actually, we're actually doing like our favorite show of the year. So thanks for yes. fighting through that with us. I'll let Bill uh, host it now. <laughs> Uh, we're a week out from the opener, September 2nd, Ohio State at Minnesota. Tell your friends. Uh, we're going to do over-unders. See, over-unders for the season. We've, I think we've done this every year since we've been doing this podcast. Um, I did not go back to look and see how wrong or right we've been. I'm just going to assume that we've been uh, wrong most of the time because that just seems right to me. So I've got, I don't know, 14 or so over-unders here. Some of them are probably worth discussing more in depth than others. Some of them, are, I think, are, are quick answers. Uh, but... You know, they offense, defense, individual players, all kinds of stuff all across the board. I'm ready to dive in, Ari, if you are. Yeah, I think we should actually make a point this year to go back um, maybe during the big layoff in between uh, the bowl game or playoff game and the regular season in December and kind of see how we did on these. Because I think a lot of these two aren't just fun to talk about before the year. I think that they're also good to contextualize how the year went once we have the information at the end of it. So I know we do this every year. I think sometimes we've gone back and looked and sometimes we forgot. This year, let's not forget. Let's not forget. And you, uh, fair listener, please don't don't let us forget either. We'd appreciate it. All right. Yeah. First one, you ready? I'm ready. Trevion Henderson rushing yards for the season. The number I have is 1,403, which is the freshman record that was set by J.K. Dobbins in 2017. Over or under? Under, I. Yeah. My impulse <laughs> is always to go over under based on what point I'm trying to make. I think he'll be over a thousand. But a, I don't know how much he's going to play uh, early on in the year, um, or in blowouts. You know, it could go either way. He could be a freshman that takes a while to get into the fold, or he could be a valuable starter who comes out of the game at halftime when they're winning by a hundred. Um, Plus, Master Teague is going to get his carries. I mean, they have a lot of guys in the running back room. Mayan Williams is going to get his carries. And, you know, when J.K. Dobbins broke the freshman rushing record, there was only it was only a two-person backfield, right? Uh, um, yeah, and, and, even, and even then, like Dobbins. So here, here are the numbers on that year. Um, Dobbins got 100. This actually kind of surprised me because I, I kind of forgot exactly how that year went. When I saw that he had 1,403 yards in my mind, I was like, oh, he must have had like – 230 to 250 carries no he had 194 and he averaged 7.2 yards per carry so he had 194 JT Barrett had 165 and Mike Weber had 101 yeah well if I remember correctly wasn't Mike Weber injured for the first few games of that season yes so and I think J.K. Dobbins rushed for 200 yards in the season opener so in his first career game um and I think it all kind of lined up to help him get to that point not that it wasn't a remarkable year but I don't think that Henderson's going to have the same running uh, conditions in terms of carries and stuff. I think that Trevion Henderson will look as good mm-hmm. and will be as good. I just don't know if he's going to break the rushing record. 
Yeah, I think I think uh, I, that's where I am too. I, I would go under on that as well. I, I'm over a thousand. Maybe I'm like around like eleven hundred, twelve hundred. Um, it is kind of hard to get a gauge on how many touches Trevion's going to get because I do think Mayan Williams will get some, Master Teague will get some. You know, C.J. Stroud is not going to run nearly as much as J.K. or J.T. Barrett did that year. But if there's, I don't know, what five hundred ish carries to go around. Or four hundred and something carries to go around. Like, I think Trey might get like a hundred and eighty. Mayan might get like a hundred and sixty, and Master Teague might get like a hundred. I don't know. Like, maybe that's too much of a breakdown between three guys. But um, I don't think right now that Trevion Henderson's going to get like two hundred carries. Because uh, if he did, I think I'd go over here, or at least like kind of near the number. But I don't think he's going to get that, so I'm a little under as well. But I do think, like you said. It's going to look and feel like that year felt for J.K., just the numbers in the end I don't think are going to quite match up. Right. Okay. Two here that are pretty similar. Actually, they're identical. Receiving yards for Chris Olave, 999. And then receiving yards for Garrett Wilson, 999. Over, under. What was the reason for just just 1,000 yards? Are they going to have 2,000 yard receivers? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I'm going to go under. Would you go over for any either of them? Do you think one might get a thousand and one could kind of flirt with it, or do you think they're both under a thousand? I think they're both under a thousand. Interesting. Well, I mean, last year didn't they both not make it to 750? Uh, I think they both. Well, last year they made it to 750, but they only played in seven or eight games, right? Yeah, last year. So I'm pull that up because last year Chris Olave was over 100 yards per game, and I'm pretty sure Garrett Wilson was too. Yeah, I'm going to change. I'm gonna, I was looking at stats, and I momentarily forgot that they only played seven or eight games last year. And I think Chris Olave actually missed a game, didn't he? Missed the Big Ten Championship? Yeah. So, Chris, oh. Chris Olave averaged 104 yards per game, uh, had 729 in seven games, and then Garrett Wilson averaged 90 yards per game and had 723 in eight games. Okay, so one's probably going to go over, and the hardest one is going to be which one. So I've got a hot take. Are you ready? Yep. I think Garrett Wilson is much better than Chris Olave as a receiver. Much better? Yeah. Much better. Much. Like if I were let me put let me put it this way. If I were an NFL GM and both were available in the first round, I would take Garrett Wilson a hundred times out of hundred. Oh, I don't know if that's a hot take. I think I think uh I think most like guys who cover the draft, right, like would say that they would take that Garrett Wilson is the better NFL prospect because he's like a better whole test better. He's a better athlete. Okay, let me tell you this. So we're doing this draft at the Athletic where the national writers are drafting uh, Heisman candidates. Yep. Chris Olave was a first round pick out of the eight people who who drafted Heisman candidates. I got Garrett Wilson in the fourth round. That's really good value. I would. I think I would draft Olave ahead of Wilson in a Heisman draft. Because a he's a he's a year older voters like that and he's got more home run ability for you know deep touchdown I mean what what is the name recognition like, does how does Garrett, Garrett Wilson doesn't have name recognition really nationally I'm, uh, I have a hard no he time. has some he has some but Chris Olave has more like I think like PFF I think has Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave as the top two returning receivers in all of college football I think. Um, Casual college football fans, I think, are pretty aware of Garrett Wilson, but Chris Olave has been doing it for a year longer, um, 
has done it in like some big games. Like there's been like some memorable national televised moments with Chris Olave, good and bad. Um, he's blocked punts. Yeah. So I just think I, and that's part of it too. Like he'll block punts. He's a gunner. Like he'll do more stuff. Um, I just think you'll. You, I think you have heard his name more, and you will hear his name more than Garrett Wilson. Even if you think Garrett Wilson is the better player, which is like a perfectly reasonable take. Yeah. So, like, which? What is your answer? I think they're both going over a thousand. Really? I would go over on both. They flirted with this in 2018. Um, Paris Campbell had over a thousand yards. KJ Hill had 885. Terry McLaurin had 701, and Johnny Dixon had 669. So they had four guys go over 650 receiving yards, which is kind of insane. Um, I don't think it'll quite look like that because they're going to run the ball so much. But uh, yeah, I think Chris Olave and Gar- for, for like as good as these young receivers are, and I like I think like Mar- Marvin Harrison in particular is, is going to be really good early. Um, I just can't see a scenario where like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are coming off the field all that much. So um, if they were on pace for that last year in half a season, I think they get there this year, you know, rather easily. Even with a new quarterback, I just don't. I just like. I think I could get on board with both going over. Um, If I had to pick between which one, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, because I think like anecdotally, you might say, "Well, Chris Olave is more of a downfield threat than Garrett Wilson," but it's like not really. Chris Olave averages sixteen yards, sixteen point one yards per reception in his career, and Garrett Wilson's fifteen point eight. It's like basically the same. Yeah, Chris Olave just has more memorable plays of over the top touchdowns. Yeah. He has, and he has more. He scored twenty two touchdowns in his career. Garrett scored eleven. Chris has like a, a one year head start on him. But even that one year, like Chris Olave didn't really come on until the end of his freshman year, so that yeah. only counts so did, much. Yeah, I think they're both first round draft picks. I think they're both really really good. Um, I'll say over uh, on one and under on the other, uh, but I don't know which one's over. Okay, I think I think that's a fair. Is that hedge. fair? Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that hedge. I'll take that hedge. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All yeah. right, next one on the receivers. Uh, Bolitnikoff awards won by an Ohio State receiver. I said it at a half. Over. Yeah, over. <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> you know, whichever one whichever one goes over 1,000 yards. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, Olav, I think Olav is going to win it. Yeah. All right, again, like name recognition. Na- I mean, national awards are really, really hard to win, and I know that they're both in a position right now coming back as two of the most uh, – noteworthy receivers in college football that it's easy. I, I hope people understand that when you say over 0.5 and giving him a national award, that is a big deal. Yeah. Because it was kind of laissez-faire there a little bit, but there's like, you know, Mechie's back at Alabama. I mean, there's a lot of really good Justin Ross back. is playing, right? Justin Ross is back and healthy at Clemson. Like, there's a lot. Oklahoma's got dudes. Marvin Mims. Yeah. Yeah, Mims, I think, is 
probably one of the favorites potentially to do that. So his own teammate Garrett Wilson <laughs> is going to be there. Yeah, and his own yeah. So David Bell. It's, uh, yeah. it's not a very easy thing to do. So when we both just casually say over. I just didn't want people to take that as casual expectation. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Yeah, I know. I just feel like um, I feel like Chris Olave has like been trending toward becoming the best receiver in college football, and now it doesn't mean best pro prospect, but like most impactful college football receiver. Like I, I don't know, however you want to couch that, I guess. Short of it meaning best draft prospect, I think he's been trending toward that, and he will accomplish it this year. Um. And I feel pretty strongly about that. I, I don't. I really. I'm, I'm like in the middle of like reporting a story about Chris Olave, because the way he does his job like fascinates me. Because he's not. He's fast. He's actually. I think like straight. If he and Garrett Wilson race, I think Chris Olave would win. Um, but Garrett's so explosive and so rangy and like really bouncy. And Chris isn't really any of those things. He's like more savvy and technically proficient. And his body control and his route running and, and what he does off the line of scrimmage. Like I, I find it all like a bit mesmerizing because I, I just think he's really special in that way. So, um, and I don't know if people who pick for these awards and stuff analyze it that closely, but um, I think over the years he's built up enough kind of credibility that as long as he has the kind of statistical season that I think he's going to have, I, I think he is going to win that award this year. Well said, bud. All right. CJ Stroud time. Total touchdowns, so this is combined passing and rushing, 45. What was the reasoning behind this number? I kind of tried to land in the middle here. So Haskins was 54 and 18. Fields was 51 and 19. Barrett was 47 in 2017 and 45 in 2014. So, like, I tried to keep it around those numbers. I ended up going on the lower end. So, like, it's basically like JT Barrett's 2014 season. Um, now the run and pass breakdown can certainly be different for CJ Stroud and I think it would be, but so that's kind of, that's kind of the season I'm talking about is J, what JT did in 2014 from a producing touchdown standpoint. Cause Over. I, cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to say like, is he going to set the big 10 record, which Dwayne Haskins did, or is he going to go over 50, which Justin Fields is like a kind of like an otherworldly athlete did in his first year. So you're over. I think over. Yeah. yeah. I think over, I think. If he has two of the best receivers in college football this year and a really, really good running back, if Trey Henderson you know, catches on, um, that he'll find his way there somehow. Yeah. I think he's going to throw like 40-ish touchdowns with all these receivers, and he is – he's not the kind of runner that Justin was. He's more of a, of a run threat certainly than Dwayne was, and I think he is pretty good in the zone read game, and that would be to Ohio State's benefit in the red zone, so he'll probably have like a couple walk-in touchdowns on off of zone reads. Um, when they get down like inside the five yard line, so if he has something like forty one passing touchdowns and like six or seven rushing touchdowns, which I think is pretty reasonable, um, I, I, I'm I'm over too. I think I think that makes sense. Yeah, and also hearing you rattle off everybody else's uh, touchdown totals, they were all over. You know, I mean, who was who had Ohio State's just so stacked offensively this year with that offensive line and everything, and just like. If he had 37 touchdowns, wouldn't that be kind of a bad year? Yeah, the last time, I mean, going back to 2014, the only time the quarterback has been under 40 total touchdowns were, were 2015, which was a disaster, and 2016, which was like JT Barrett needed a year to figure out who he was again, and that offense wasn't particularly good. So, um, like, nor yeah, that 40 is like the norm. Like, anything lower than 40 I think would be almost a disappointment at this point for the way that that position's played here. So 45 I think is like kind of – 
like what the new threshold should be kind of for anybody. Yeah, I think that the 45 actually, based on the way that you just described it, seems like the minimum. Yeah. I might actually put it like at 48 and a half or something like that. I'm, I'm going to go over 45. Yeah, I'm over 45. What if I, if I put it at 50, what would you say? Uh, under. Under, but like close, right? Yeah. Because like five touchdowns doesn't seem like a lot when you're talking about 50, but five touchdowns is like one more game of dominance. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're both over 45 total touchdowns for C.J. Stroud. Uh, this one, this is more about like kind of what we think the offense might look like this year. So I, maybe it's not super interesting, but I was kind of curious what you thought about it. Uh, C.J. Stroud passing attempts for game I put at 30. And to, to put that in context, um, last year Justin Fields threw it 28 times per game. The year before that it was 25. And then Dwayne Haskins threw it 38 times per game. So he's like on the high end of that spectrum. Um, I think like typically the quarterbacks here have been between like 24 and 30. Um, but this is kind of my way of asking like what you think this offense is going to look like. Do you think they are going to be more, a little more run centric to the point where this number would be below 30 or are they going to be a spread of the round, throw it around the yard kind of team closer to what they were in 2018 where this number gets up, up above 30. This is a really, really good line that you set. Yeah. I, I think that this is a do not touch because the line is so perfect. Like, I could see it at 29. I could see it at 31. Um, I think I will say, just to make the point, I will say over because I think they're going to let him throw it a little bit more than people are anticipating. And maybe this is just me relying on what I knew about him during his recruiting process, but he isn't much of a runner. And Ohio State has... Um, some reasonable question marks at running back that could be solved if Trey Henderson is what we think he is. But I think that with Ohio State having the receivers that they have and the offensive line that they have, this should be a situation where a freshman quarterback could get comfortable and they should throw it around. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll get – and that doesn't mean, you know, 15 shots downfield a game, but, you know – you know, quick slants and, and screen passes and all sorts of different things to get to that number. I think I would say over just to make that point. Yeah, I think I'm over two. And, like, J Justin Fields was 25 his first year and 28 his second year. And I feel like part of the reason that number is so low, or uh, low, I guess, compared to Dwayne Haskins, is because, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, dink and dunk in Justin Fields' game. It was like he was pushing the ball down the field quite a bit, and that's the way the offense was designed. And I don't think that's going away necessarily, but I do think that C.J. Stroud, in the end, might end up being a better, like, short to in intermediate thrower than Justin Fields was. Um, and I'm banking, like, that on, like, conversations I've had with people kind of, like, about C.J.'s vision and the way he throws with anticipation – not necessarily they puts like crazy zip on the ball because I don't I don't think that's it, but I, I do think it takes a real feel to kind of operate in those areas of the field. I think Dwayne Haskins had it, um, and it, I just don't think it's like necessarily Justin Fields' strong suit. Not to say that he was bad at it, but I, I do think it can be more of a strong suit for C.J. Stroud, and in the sense where like maybe if it took Justin Fields, uh, I don't know, six throws to get down the field, it might take C.J. Stroud seven or eight throws to get down the field because they're just not being so so aggressive throwing the ball down the field with cj like they were with justin so um and that goes back to what we said before where like i think i think cj will be a little bit more of a point guard than justin fields was and and i think that would be really good for the offense they're still going to be balanced they're still going to run it a lot like i don't think cj is going to approach dwayne haskins 38 attempts per game but i think i would feel pretty good putting him around like 31 32 so i would go over mm -hmm. on this too yep all right 
two uh, two quicker ones. Actually, three quicker ones here. Uh, the first one is quarterbacks who will attempt a pass against Akron in week four, three and a half. Under. Under? You, yeah. you think three will? You think two will? Week four is like, – you're a really good wizard at this. You got a few – I every single time you do this, I picture you as Robert De Niro at the end of Casino with those big sunglasses on, <laughs> setting lines out in the desert. Um, it's Akron, man. It's the worst team on their schedule. Yeah, and it's week four. Um under, I say it'll be three. Three. It's basically like, do you think Quinn Ewers will throw a pass in that game? Well, actually, like when you really think about it, I might say over if you say play in the game. But, you know, Jack Miller and C.J. Oh, Stroud yeah. both played in games last year and didn't, neither of them threw the ball. So, you know, I guess you could safeguard yourself by saying even if four play, they all have to throw it too. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm going to say under. But who knows? I'll s- the thing I'm wondering is like if Ohio State, if Ohio State's beating Akron like sixty-eight to three with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and there's one more drive for Ohio State, and Quinn Ewers gets the drive, is Ryan Day going to let him throw the ball or go in the game at all? Yeah, I think if it was, I think if it was play, I I think I would go over and say all four will play. Throwing a pass is different. I'm still kind of tempted to go over. Because I do think, like, if, if there was ever a game, I mean, I guess I could, like, blow out Rutgers or something, but if there was ever a game um, where they'd have the opportunity to do that this year, it's this game. Because Akron is terrible. All right, I'll go under. I'll go under. I'll play it safe. I mean, week four means that Quinn Ewers will be on campus for at least almost seven weeks at that point. Yeah. So... You know, I think that he will have been on the team long enough to reasonably get into the game. But you need a blowout. You need to be pleased with the other three quarterbacks on the roster's work. I mean, here's the other thing, too. What if one transfers? <laughs> That's the other question. Like, are there going to be four, quarter, four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster for that game? Yeah. It's also, I think yeah. I think under is the safe player. Yeah, okay, under. Uh, passing touchdowns for Quinn Ewers this season, one. I guess I could have put it at half. Over. Over one? I think a half. Okay, yeah, line. let's make it a half. And then, so you're over uh, a half, I'll throw one. I think I think I'll throw one, yeah. Yeah. I think I'll throw one, too. I think you will play in garbage time at some point this year and throw a touchdown pass, and then we'll all go nuts. Yeah, and then we'll have a quarterback controversy on our hands. That's right. Yeah. Okay, this is a very important one. Yeah. GIFs of Parrish Johnson steamrolling someone that I will tweet this year. I put it at 147. Um, I think if you added dancing gifs in there too, <laughs> gifs, I'd go over. 147 is a lot, especially if they're unique. Do you know how many times I've watched that highlight of him in high school doing like pushing somebody to the ground and then dancing over yeah. him like Michael Jackson? <laughs> it's pretty disrespectful, but I love it. I've never yeah. seen an offensive lineman do that at any level ever. <laughs> Have you? Uh, no. Who is the who's the hit um, from a few years ago? Not for you, probably like twenty or thirty years ago that you show me all the time, where the OSU guy just totally lights up doing the backfield, and oh, then he like Zach Dumas, and then he like runs off the field. What's yeah, he doing? He runs off the field. Against, uh, he stands over him, claps like he lays him out, unlike any hit that I think I've seen covering Ohio State. And I'm sure most people listen to this. A lot of people have seen this clip. Go search Zach Dumas D U M A S hit into YouTube. 
and he he puts his shoulder into the guy's chest, and there's a pop that you could hear from the second county over. And he stands up, claps his hands, and puts his arms out like, "Look at me now!" And standing oh, over yeah. him, he, like, and then, he claps his hands at this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like this, and looks down at him as the guy's like paralyzed, That's so good, and then runs off the field, going like this, <laughs> yes, spinning his, his finger in the air. Oh my god, it's so good. If the guy would never play again if he did that. <laughs> if he today. did that now, he like every every ref in the on the field would be out of flags if he did that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, I I wonder too if you go back and you look at um, YouTube videos of just the way people hit each other in football 15, 20 years ago. Like that wasn't egregious back then. That was no, just was like horrible. oh my god, that was that that was it. And you know, part of me feels like knocking somebody out like that as part of the game and I miss the the brutality of it but also people are getting seriously hurt and having long-term health effects so I understand that too um but even like that Denzel Ward hit the the what was it the the Maryland the hurt, the, the hurt my feelings hit against Maryland yeah like that was a clean hit like that was awesome but even that stuff's like getting taken out of the yeah. game though I also think that you should clean up here's my take on this and then we'll keep going I think that you should be a stickler about clean hits and, and dirty hits. And that leading with the crown of your helmet and hitting defensive, defenseless pe- clean all that stuff up. I think you should be able to celebrate however you want. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, a, it's a game, and if you knock somebody into the next county with a clean hit, or, I mean, you should be able to dance. You could do the Macarena back to the <laughs> sideline for all I care. We're watching this for entertainment. We're on this podcast. And, like, I understand, like, you don't want to be disrespectful if somebody's hurt. But I think that penalizing anybody for celebrating, like the T.O. celebrations with the Sharpie. and yeah. the, I mean, I love all that stuff. And it's stuff that we all talk about 20, 30 years after. Well, has it been like 15 years since that's happened already? Since T.O. So, on the Star? Yeah, on the, or the yeah. Sharpie. Or like Joe, was yeah. it Joe Horn that pulled out the cell phone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Like I, would, I want predetermined celebration. You know, like the, the beginning of the movie Basketball when the whole team – it's like NFL, if you score a touchdown and you're 10 yards ahead of somebody and you want to turn around and high kick by backpedaling into the end zone, then do that. Yeah. If you want to do the smooth criminal dance or the, you know, <laughs> what is it? Whatever you want to the do, what's walk? it called? The, yeah. uh, the moonwalk. Yeah, moonwalk into the end zone. It's fine with me. I, I think celebration makes the game more fun. I think you should protect the players, but I also like don't think that the Zach Dumas thing was terrible. That was great. He was playing football, yeah. and it was legal back then. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, a, a normal uh, reminder of how different this world is than it used to be. I'm going to watch that Zach Dumas hit after after this podcast. Speaking of uh, celebrating after getting to the end zone, the next over-under, points per game for the off- – well, you know, points per game Ohio State scores this year, 45 let, under. Under. So here's some context. Uh, 45 points will be a top three scoring output all time at Ohio State. 2019 is number one uh, at 46.9 points per game. Uh, 2013 is number two. Um, they have not yet had an offense go over 50. I think last year we talked about they're going to go over 50 points. Um, and we've done that before. Hasn't happened. I don't think this is the offense to do it either. But 45 is like a little... I think 45 is a little high, actually. Yeah, 45... Yeah, 45 could be high. Like, 2017, they scored 41. 2018 with Dwayne, they scored 42.4. Last year, they were 41. So, but like, 2018, parts of that offense were like dysfunctional. 
and last year was so weird. So, like, I think this team should score more than both those teams. Um, you know, you can score 43 and score more than both those teams, so maybe 45 is still high. But, I don't know, 45 felt okay to me. But you think it's high, so you'd go, you'd go under? I think I might even go under 42. Really? I don't know. I mean, Ohio State's schedule is a little bit more tough this year, I feel like, too. Um, also, there is – I guess there's two ways of looking at this. You have multiple quarterbacks you might want to get into the game, mm-hmm. and – you might need to score a bunch of points to get them in the game, but also you might not. Um, you're trying to protect your quarterback, but you also want to get him experience. There's like a lot there, and I don't really know how to unpack it. But averaging 40 points a game is a lot. It is. I'm going to look up where last year, if you averaged 40 points per game, where that would have put you. Uh it's like maybe the, maybe the game is changing a little bit, but less than I thought. So 12, 12 teams scored 40 points per game last year. 2019, a more normal season. Um, only eight did. So it's not it's not quite um, what I thought it was. So you're making, you're making good points. Yeah. I just don't know if you could – I know that we like to just explain how much talent Ohio State has and you can go up. I mean, it's just like – on one hand, you've got one of the best offensive lines in the sport. You've got the two best receivers in the sport, and you have a freshman running back who I think is going to be awesome. Not to mention that their tight end is probably going to be a, a second-round pick next year uh, or even a first-rounder, depending on, on how he plays. But then it's just like, can you really pick 45 or more points for a freshman quarterback? It's just like, I mean, a redshirt freshman, I guess. I don't know. They've got so many elements to make you feel like, yes, they can do it, but I just don't know if the circumstance, the schedule, and – um, the fact that they need to like roll some quarterbacks in kind of sets you up for that. Yeah, I think under is the safe play here. So uh, a team hasn't scored fifty. We haven't had a team score fifty points per game since uh, Baylor and Florida State both did it in twenty thirteen. Uh, LSU two years ago was forty eight point four. Alabama last year was forty eight point five. And like everyone thinks, there's like the two best offenses, like in the history of modern history college of football. Yeah. yeah. So like. It's not easy to be to, to score fifty points per game. Like that's not a normal thing. Um, yeah, maybe forty five is high. I think. All right, I, I would go under, but I think it's like f- around forty three, forty four. I think it's close to forty five. Closer to forty five than it is to forty. Not that there's a ton of wiggle room there. Yep. Well, if I put it at forty two, what would you say? Under. Under. I think they're going to score in between 39 and 41. Below 40 would be interesting. I don't think it would be like a colossal problem, but the way that they, the offense has been trending under Ryan Day, it would be quite the outlier. Okay, let's move over to the defensive side. Um, I have these a little bit out of order. My apologies, Ari. Uh, the first one will be sacks by Jack Sawyer as a true freshman. Over. I have it a five and a half, which is the average of Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and Chase Young as freshmen. Over. Over. Okay. So Joey Bosa had seven and a half, right? Joey Bosa had seven. Yeah. Joey had seven and a half. Nick had five. Chase had three and a half. Over five and a half. I think Jack Sawyer is going to be really special. Would you go over seven and a half that Bosa had his first year? Joey Bosa. Yes. Wow, that's high praise. I don't think I don't I don't I don't think you're off base. That I mean that's I think he also has the potential to play a lot. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We'll circle back on the sack total. Let's let's do this one next. Uh, it's total snaps for Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolowau. Which is 109. I put it at 196, which is how many snaps Chase Young played as a true freshman in 2017. Now, on that. And this is combined? No, no, each. Each. Oh, okay. <clears throat> that year in 2017, uh, Chase Young was like very much the fifth defensive end. Jalen Holmes and Nick Bosa had 536 snaps each. Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard had 529 snaps each. That's all from Pro Football Focus. And Chase was a distant fifth at 196. So, circling back, do you think, like, Jack Sawyer – we'll start with Sawyer. Sawyer over. Over 196. So, like, yes. featured much more than Chase was as a true freshman in 2017. How do you, like, envision that breaking down with Jack and Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Javante John Baptiste, like those are the top four ends. Where do you think Jack ends up snap count wise compared to those other guys? Some of the other guys in that room are very injury prone too. <clears throat> yeah, especially they yeah, Ty- Ty- Tyreek for sure. Yeah, yeah, like people who have, you know, for whatever reason, found themselves missing time. And I think Jack Sawyer is good enough to force time if everyone's healthy. So that's not the reason I'm doing it. Um, Would you like double I th- I that? Think, Would you say like Jack Sawyer's going to play four like hundred snaps this year? I think he could get to four hundred snaps yeah. this year. I think it's I, I don't know if he will. I don't know how many games it's going to take for it to happen. It might be the first game when he has two or three sacks in the Minnesota game, when it's like, okay, we can't keep this person off the field, or it might be week six. But I think eventually it's going to happen. Um, I know you have to be careful comparing people to Joey Bosa, but I think this is another Bosa brother. Yeah, I think this is the context that we have to be viewing him as. And if he is another Bosa brother. Then seven and a half sacks at three hundred and fifty snaps, I think, is reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is too, um, and I, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I think that Jack, like at worst, will end up being third in total snaps for defensive ends behind Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. And you know, no offense to Tyreek Smith, because of like his history of just having a hard time being on the field, I think it's possible that Jack could be second. Or maybe he's awesome and he ends up being first. I think Zach Harrison's going to have a good year too, so I, I don't think I'd go that far. But um, I would go over the 196 total snaps like easily for Jack Sawyer. JT Tuimolowau is, is a little different calculus, I think. Would you have go- you been seeing him in the in the windows that you've had? Is he getting in there a ton? No, we like, we we get to like watch one pass rush period, and there were two things going on at once, and I just like I didn't get eyeballs on JT. So so no. Um, you hear a lot of good things about him. Like Ryan Day said, quote, we've been having a hard time blocking him. 
uh, which is a nice thing for a coach to say about a player who's been on campus for three days. Um, so I think he's I think he has looked how you'd expect him to look in camp, but that's based off what people have been saying, not necessarily what I've seen. Yeah, I think Sawyer is going to be the second or third most. It wouldn't be uh, most snaps at the defensive end position. It wouldn't surprise me if it was one, to be honest. It, I, it just depends. On, I mean, we'll know a week from Thursday. Yeah. You know, where we're at with that one. I just don't have a gauge on where JT is. Yeah, that, I think JT's harder. Um, although, I mean, I, I've not heard anything to suggest that, like, JT is behind the eight ball all that much considering he got there in, in late July. Um, so I think I'd go over 196 on him too, because I, one, I don't, I don't think like that year where Chase had 196, like there was just so many snaps dominated by those four guys, top four guys that it was hard for Chase to get on the field. I don't think that's going to look like this. Maybe there's two guys who dominate snaps, but even then I still think there's going to be enough left over for JT to get up over that. So I think like, I think JT might play like in the low two hundreds. Jack, I think clears this bar easily. And JT, who I believe will be part of like their rushman package or like specialized pass rushing group, um, I th- I think gets enough work that he that he clears 196 and is somewhere in the low 200s, so maybe even even more than that. Um, so back to Jack then. I th- I'm on board with you. Five and a half total sacks for the year for Jack. I think I'd go over that too if we both think he's going to play between 300 and 400 snaps this year. How about this? I think he's going to lead the team in sacks. Uh, again. I don't think it's wild. I don't know if I can quite get there. It's hard because Why don't you just go to the next over under, yeah, or the Harrison over under. So Zach Harrison eight and a half sacks, and that was under. the reason I put the re, kind of the reason I put both of these in here is because like again I'm trying to get a, a gauge of what you think the pass rush group might look like. So like we've seen years where it's just like one guy just totally dominates, and that's Chase Young in 2019. That's Joey Bosa in 2014. 2017, they were really good. They had a great pass rush in 2017, but it was like Tyquan Lewis um, had seven sacks. Sam Hubbard had seven sacks. Nick Bosa had eight and a half sacks, which is the number I said here for Zach. So it's like you had three, four guys who were like six, seven, eight, nine sacks, not one guy who had 15 sacks. Um, and I think that's what this is going to look like. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd pick anybody to go double digits this year, but I do think, I do think Jack and Zach – and Tyreek, if he's healthy, can all be like around between seven to ten. But I think I'd pick Zach. I think I would go. I think I'd go over on Zach here and like put him at nine and have him as the leader. And I'd go over on Jack too and put him at like eight and have him second behind Zach Harrison. Who do you think's the best defensive end on the team? Zach Harrison. Do you think that's debatable? Uh, not yet. I think it could become debatable very quickly, but not yet. I need to see more from Jack Sawyer. His spring game was awesome, and I wrote about why it was awesome. Like his, he has um, a higher level of like technical proficiency at the position than I think a lot of freshmen do, and part of that's because he had a lot of time to just kind of work on himself because he didn't play a senior year of high school. But he was also going against guys who were like third and fourth team offensive tackles at Ohio State. And when he went against Thayer Munford, Thayer Munford like put him in the ground. So um, I'm I'm just trying to be like cautious a little bit. But if we watch the Minnesota game and it's like, nope, Jack Sawyer's the best defensive end. Like I don't think I'd be shocked by that. How many games did Zach Harrison play in last year? Seven. Yes. How many sacks did he have? 
four and a half, I think. Two. Two? Oh, right. He was... Yeah, yeah that's right. He is one of the biggest freaks on the team, mm-hmm. physically. And I don't know if this is, like, sacrilegious, but, you know, in the non-biased wavelength of this podcast, I don't know that he has really struck my fancy all that much in terms of production. He's just kind of been okay. I think he has, yeah, he's he's a hard evaluation because we all want to see the sack production, right? Like, we've just become accustomed to that here with the guys they've had, especially the guys that they've had who have the same recruiting pedigree as Zach, and, and Zach just hasn't come close to matching that yet. Um, I do think if you, like, spent some – if you spent time just sort of watching him down to down, you would grow an appreciation for how good he is, but good and like jump off the page, totally blow you away are very different things. Um, and he's not done the latter yet. I, I agree with that. So what makes you think that he's going to have nine sacks after having two and seven games last year? Um, I think buying a little bit of, of the hype on him for sure. He's bigger. He's playing at 272 pounds, so we, I think he's stronger. We'll be able to defeat blocks easier, get off of blocks easier. Um, I think that they're – like Larry Johnson has a pretty good track record of kind of developing guys in a way where, where like their their get-off kind of improves over the course of their career. I think we've, we've seen that with a lot of guys, and, and I think we'll see it with Zach too. And I don't think as he's gotten bigger, he's sacrificed any of his like natural athletic gifts. He's still a freak. Um so it's all that like kind of combined. I, I in the end, I think I'll, I'll you know I'm, maybe I'll be wrong on that. Um, probably likely that I'll be wrong on that, but there's some something about Zach and this off season that's like a little hard to put your finger on that just like kind of makes you if you talk to him like you kind of become a believer a little bit. I think in him breaking out. If Ohio State gets eight and a half sacks from Zach Harrison, their defense will be in really really good shape. Yeah. I think it's really, really hard to say he's going to get the nine when he only had two last year. Certainly a big jump. No, no, doubt, about, no doubt about that. So you're under on eight and a half. I think that Jack Sawyer is going to lead Ohio State in sacks this year. If I flip these and put Jack at eight and a half and Zach at five and a half, what would you do there? I don't want to get too hyperbolic with Jack because now we're getting into nine. Yeah. You know, ten. I think that eight – range is exactly where I would put uh, Jack. I think five to six would be where I would put Harrison and five to six is where I would put Tyreek Smith to put that uh, that group uh, as very even contributors like the same way they did when they had the Hubbard yeah. and Taekwon Lewis scenario. Yeah. But I think that I think that Jack Sawyer will flash brilliance more than the other two. Yeah, that's fair. And like I think I was wrong a little bit about Tyreek Smith. So the, the interesting thing about this pass rush is that you have three people that at one point or another looked like they had a flash of brilliance. And, you know, Tyreek Smith, I thought, was going to be one of the better pass rushers of the last 10 years. And maybe it's because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but he hasn't reached his potential either. And you have guys who are coming into the season who are healthy, who are all very good high school prospects, all very, very talented, who – you know, are in that position. And right now, the one that I feel most excited about watching is Jack because he hasn't failed to reach his potential the way the other two have so far. Yeah, and and I, we didn't really – I didn't put Tyreek Smith down for an over-under, but I do 
He was he led the team. He and Jonathan Cooper led the team last year in pressures with 33. But like Tyreek got half of that in two games against Northwestern and Clemson. Like his last two games, he was awesome. He had a great last two games. He was awesome. Right. So, and then he didn't play against. And maybe Alabama. we're selling him short a little bit right now. Yeah, I think I think we could be. Like if he's was he at, did he have COVID he, in the national title game? I don't I don't know if he tested positive or got con, contact traced out. They had both of those things going on. But he didn't play against Alabama. He talked about that like two weeks ago. Like he got the call. And had to like stay in his hotel room in Miami and like couldn't play in the national championship and like killed him, um, but because because partly because he had been playing so well in the two previous games, like he was borderline unblockable against Northwestern and Clemson. He he was great. Um, now he had not really shown that up to that point in his career, so I don't I don't know if he gets benefit of the doubt that we just like assume he's going to be that once he gets on the field again this year. But he certainly could be. And if he is, I mean, I don't want to bring up some negative history, but Ohio State got kind of dealt a shit hand last year in the national title game. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You mean if, getting your entire defensive line contact traced out of the game? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but like, I think part of the reason why the score was what it was is because they lost some pretty important players. Yeah. And then Trey Sermon hurt himself on the first drive. Right. Right. All right. Let's get off the defensive line. Um, <laughs> Demario McCall interceptions one. <laughs> over, over obviously over, yeah. you can't win the Thorpe war with only one interception how about how about defensive snaps in a game in the first half this year one how about that for a stat yeah I don't know <laughs> first half defensive snaps for Demario McCall this year the way they talk about these young defensive backs man I just I don't know I think they're I think they're all gonna play over Demario um well not all of them but like under yeah under Unfortunately, under poor guy should be the the receptions leader at Kent State next year. Yeah, him and Dustin Crum be fun to watch. Uh, okay, two more on the defense, and then one uh, larger one. Uh, passing yards per game allowed two hundred and thirty. Last year they were over three. They were three hundred one last year, which is the most in program history. The first time they ever allowed more than three hundred yards. Now, part of that is because Ohio State plays in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten just started throwing the ball in like twenty fourteen. Um, so that's a little it's a little misleading. Um, <laughs> the forward pass was invented in twenty eleven. Yeah. So like, but three hundred still a lot. Two hundred and thirty is like, are you an average pass defense? So I'm gonna say over. So you think they're slightly worse than average pass defense in terms of how could you not in terms right of now? production? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't, like, what is it that we would be? You're, you either say uh, over this or you're in La La Land. I, I don't know, and I guess now you're under probably, but it just – I want, I'm the type of person that wants to see the shit first. Yeah. I don't want to say it's going to ha- – It's giving I don't a, even know who's starting. Right, it's giving a lot of, of benefit of the doubt if you're under here to uh, unproven coordinator and a group of defensive backs that like we don't know much about yet. So Most of which are like true freshmen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm over too. I don't – I feel – Somewhat confident in saying it's not going to be as disastrous as last year was. Um, but at the moment, like, I think they're going to be basically around average. So I would say, like, a little over right now with certainly uh, the chance that you and I are both wrong and they get back to being what we Because I think from if they get to 240 or 250, you almost take that, right? Yeah, I think, like, I think that's, like, good enough. Um, last year wasn't good enough. I think, like, 240, 250 is good enough. And they enough. played it in the national title game. Yeah, right, and they played in the national title game. And like, the reason it was over 300 is largely because of that national title game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they played uh, Trevor Lawrence, too. Yeah, and uh, Michael Penix turned into Troy Aikman for one day against them. Um, 
Opponent plays of 30 yards or more. Big plays, I think, have been a bugaboo for Ohio State here the last couple of years. Um, last year. Bear traps. Bear, bear traps. traps. My bugaboo. Bear traps. <laughs> uh, last year and then two years ago, certainly. Uh, so I have it at 25 plays of 30 yards or more surrendered by this defense. Last year. I think this is kind of, I think this is a, kind of a random occurrence. I think it can be Isn't for it? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like hard to predict it. It's just like if somebody accidentally misses a tackle, it can go from a seven-yard play to a twenty-seven-yard play really quick. Yeah, but they like they were, but they were certainly prone to that in twenty eighteen when they gave up almost three of these per game, which is like unacceptable. If you're Ohio, well, twenty eighteen wasn't even a defense, thing. right? So, but and last year they were it was over two, it was a two point three. Twenty nineteen, it was like it was barely one. It was sixteen and fourteen games. Like they just didn't give up big plays in twenty fourteen or twenty nineteen. Um, so I guess, I guess another way of framing it is like, do you, where do you think it lands? If if we're gonna say it's not gonna be as bad as twenty eighteen and it's not gonna be as bad as good as twenty nineteen, like where in between those two do you think it lands? I think uh, twenty. I, I think I would say under here. Yeah. Like if it's twenty five and it's somewhere under, in between twenty and twenty five. If we say they're going to play like if it's twenty five and like fourteen games, like we're talking about like one between one and a half and two per game, which I think is a good place to be. So I, I think I'd go slightly under two. If it's over than this, I, I, you're talking about a defense that's a, a little too leaky, I think, for for my liking. Um, yeah, but I think slightly under this is is an okay spot to be, and I do think partly because I think their pass rush is going to be better. Um, I think when you did this, Landis, not to interrupt you, but have you been going? Like using the potential postseason as a metric too. It's just the season. Yeah, it's like however many games they play. Yeah. Okay, because I've only been doing regular season. I think I think when these you, are regular season numbers. I think when you do like over unders in Vegas, like it's it's a regular season, right? Yes. Um. So it's fine. Yeah. Even like twenty five over twelve games is like is just over two. Okay. Yeah, because it's like eleven and a half with the bowl season. It's over, obviously. Right. So I mean, no, well, that's regular. No, season. this is reg- that's the last one is regular season. Yeah. Win. That, that that one is specifically regular season wins over eleven and a half, which is basically like, do you think they're going to lose this year? No, in the regular season, I don't. Like, don't even think twice about what? it. They're not going to lose. Does, and does any I don't game, know who I would give you pause. No, the hard. I think the Big Ten sucks. The hard part for me is like they have so many question marks that like I, I almost feel like an idiot homer like picking them to go undefeated. But then you look at the schedule, it's like all right, who do you like really feel good about actually? Are being we going to try to make the Oregon game a scary game? I mean, they've lost that game before. They've lost the second game of the year home game against a non-conference opponent before with a first-year quarterback. With a first-year quarterback, and then one national title. <laughs> and then one national title. Uh, <laughs> not in twenty seven. Yeah, I, I, I. It's the same exact logic for me as it is picking over on the secondary yards, or I mean on the passing yards. Let me see it. I'm not going to predict what I – I mean, what game are you going to – they're a 14-point favorite in the Oregon game. What, what yeah. game are you going to pick them to lose? Do you want to say there's a trap game on there? There's never in the history of us picking a trap game has there ever been a trap game. So we can't do that. Trap games are when they come out of nowhere. So if they turn around and lose to Minnesota or something, that's a trap game. <laughs> I don't – I don't like predicting trap games, and I don't know which team that's even proficient enough to compete with Ohio State that you would pick to win. They play Penn State at home this year, don't they? Yeah, they get Penn State at home, which I like. I picked that as a win. I I like what Tom Allen's doing at Indiana. 
I don't think Indiana is going to beat Ohio State this year or ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> so well, at least as they're currently constructed. Like or, I think Oregon is interesting, but then but then or, like I just don't think like I know I know Ohio State has lost games. Like the games that sneak up on you, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like you get on the field with like a, another competent opponent. Like how many times has that happened? And Ohio State's lost to a team that was like built that way, but like didn't have a great quarterback. And like I don't. I mean, how do you how do you view the Iowa game? Iowa, like I'm not. Iowa's a stinker. I'm not talking about like laying an egg. I'm talking about like because I I just don't like if you want to predict like whoa Ohio State they lost to Purdue in 2018 like they're going to lose one of those games again like okay. I don't want to have that conversation because yeah, boring. I'm not doing that. No, no, yeah. no, I know. Um, I'm talking about like, is there a game on the schedule? Do you look like it? Like that team matches up well with Ohio no. State and can beat them. No, and I you? think if Oregon had a better quarterback, you might be able to convince me. But they don't. Do they have they announced their starter yet? No, like I think it's going to be Anthony Brown. They have that. What's that? Ty Thompson is that the five star kid they have? Yeah, it's true four star, true freshman. Um, they have not named their starter yet. My guess is that it's Anthony Brown, who was like a perfectly average quarterback at Boston College, and I think Texas be- Tech announced their starter. Did they? Did UNLV yeah, announce that starter? Oregon yet? transfer. <laughs> Tyler, yeah, Tyler Shuck, who was like the starter at Oregon, then left for some reason. Um, so like I just like Oregon. Joe Moorhead's a good offensive coordinator, and has beaten Ohio State before, I guess. But um, like Oregon's offense doesn't scare me. I don't think Oregon can outscore. And if, if Oregon State. beat Ohio State, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the history of the world. No, I just I'm not predicting it. I'm not predicting it either. So like I, don't, I think I might. There might be somewhere where I picked Ohio State to go eleven and one, just because like eleven and one felt right, even if I can't give you a good reason for why they would lose a game. Um, so I guess I would say like I think, I think having to do mental gymnastics to try to get yourself into a place where you could predict a loss is the reason why we're not right. Kayvon Thibodeau going up against like inexperienced Dewan Jones, does that do anything for you? Like, is that is that scary at all? I don't know. <laughs> Keep trying. I don't know. No. I don't know. Yeah. Also, Ohio State's a thirteen and a half point favorite now against Minnesota in the opener, and I kind of feel like they're going to blow their doors off. I do. I was thinking this yesterday. I don't know why it occurred to me. I guess because it's like it's just obvious leap in logic with Ohio State because they're usually really good. Like, I do think some people are questioning Ohio State a little bit. Like, to the point, like, Stuart Mendo, our colleague at The Athletic, we love him, said something to the point, like, if one like if one of the teams in the top five was going to lose three games this year, he'd pick it to be Ohio State. And I, like, what, worth a punch a hole through my computer. He's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, it's just like it's not – it's not going to happen, but I do think there are questions about Ohio State this year, and then I think it's possible they get on the field next week against Minnesota and like win by forty, and it turns out that like, hey, Ohio State is just an absolute buzzsaw again, and all those questions you had, like, forget them. We'll we'll address them when we get to January when they play Clemson and wherever the hell the semifinals are. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. So you're over eleven and a half. I'm going to say over two, but I'm like I said, I I think I might be contradicting myself when I do that because I think I did pick 11 and one somewhere. Okay. So Ohio State's going to be good again. It took us 55 minutes to come to that conclusion. Ohio State will be good I again. I thought that was a good episode. I, I, I enjoyed that. No, I like the over-unders. Over-under how many halftime hot dogs you're going to eat this year? I don't uh, – I'm curious what the setup is going to – because like last year we didn't have food in the press box because of COVID. You just like sat in your you're seat. You're going to have to bring a $5 foot long, I guess. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. I'm curious. Like, I, if I don't get a dilly bar in Minnesota, I'm going to be upset. I will say that part 
I would say at least 25% of my weight gain in my 20s was press box food. Oh, was it the seven caramel frappes you smash in the press box during the highest eight game? Those are so good. They're great, yeah. It's like crack. And every time you walk back to the bathroom, there's one sitting there calling your name. It's like, okay, I guess I'll drink it. <laughs> and they're like 1,000 calories. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't the worst thing in the world that those those weren't ready, readily available for me to just dump down my throat last year. But <laughs> I think they might be back this year. Uh, so I have to, I have to exercise uh, some restraint, although I don't think I'll be able to. But I am excited. Season's around the corner. Uh, excited to like go back on the road and cover games and go check out. I'm really jealous of your uh, Minnesota trip. Yeah, thank you. I did. We went there together once, but I, I would have... I would really like to be there. I got a couple uh, emails with recommendations of places to go in, in Minneapolis. I appreciate that. Um, anyone else? Are you getting listening? the Juicy Lucy or not? Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, but you I guess like I said, look at where all the the sites of where the movie Fargo was filmed. That's what you do. You listen to murder podcasts and then drive to those places. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I'm in the area, I stop. Yeah. What kind of person <laughs> does that? Yeah, Ari Wasserman does it. Yeah, that's just, that's that's how he gets enjoyment out of that. Thank you for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Uh, we'll be back next week with a show previewing the Minnesota game. Um, give our game picks for that. Figure out something else to talk about. Subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Leave us a five-star review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you to everybody who's dropped uh, five-star reviews recently, by the way. We've had uh, a nice uh, refresh on that. Quite, quite a few dropped in the last couple weeks. So thank you for that. Keep them coming. We appreciate it. It helps us out. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.